Welcome to Conversations with the Best Minds in Real Estate, a podcast hosted by RCL Co. Real Estate Advisors, the show that brings you illuminating interviews with today's most relevant and motivating leaders throughout all corners of the real estate sector. Each episode will feature different masters in real estate, revealing challenging lessons they've learned, their secrets to success, and opinions regarding the state of the market. Cindy Thomas, Managing Director of RCL Co. Real Estate Advisors. If you are a regular listener to our podcast, then you know that since 1967, RCL Co. has been the first call for real estate developers, investors, the public sector, and non-real estate companies seeking strategic and tactical advice regarding property investment, planning, and development. Welcome to the latest episode of Conversations with the Best Minds in Real Estate. Today, I am talking with Amy Cara, Managing Partner of East West Partners. East West Partners exists to create terrific places that bring people together, sharing meaningful experiences. They develop new communities and improve existing ones in ways that add lasting value. East West Partners aims to amplify what people love most about where they live, work, and vacation. Amy, thanks so much for joining us as one of the best minds in real estate. Thank you, Cindy. Well, we've known each other for quite a while uh, through the the Denver real estate scene. I would call us city girls who love the the mountains as well. And and we really met through the Urban Land Institute. We'll, We'll get to that later, given ULI's influence on your career. But first, I wanted to dive into how you got here. Uh, Like many in the industry, I understand that you found your way into real estate through a different avenue. So why don't you tell the audience a bit about your migration from accounting and finance into placemaking? Sure. Um, So yes, I I got an accounting and finance degree at the University of Colorado at Boulder. And I think, um, you know, I really chose accounting and finance because it felt like a great way to get to know lots of industries. I wasn't fully sure what I might want to dive into. Um, And so I actually went to Arthur Anderson, one of what was then the big five accounting firms, with the hope of learning a broad range of industries and how they work. Um, I pretty quickly gravitated towards real estate. I love the built environment. I loved it beforehand, but I don't know that I fully really understood how it all worked and came together. Um, But I think the clients I worked with in that regard were were some of my favorites. Um, East West Partners was a client of mine. I worked for them for a few years and really was uh, impressed by their approach to development, um, their sensitivity to the land where they developed and and so on. They were exclusively a resort developer at that point, however, and I knew I was a city girl, so I never really, it never really occurred to me that there might be a fit for us um, together. But as it turned out, Mark Smith, one of the founders, made the decision to expand to Denver. Um, And because I had had that opportunity to get to know their business, they gave me a call um, and gave me a role to really run accounting and finance for them. Um, But it was a small team, so everybody was very integrated from project concept and design all the way through um, sales and completion of condominiums and so on. So um, I guess the last piece I would add to that is um, in 2004, 
we began chasing Denver Union Station, um, and that gave me the opportunity to really start moving away from finance for the first time and into a broader development role. That's great. And why don't you tell everyone some, obviously you and I are familiar with Union Station and the, the redevelopment that went on there, but why don't you give a bit of a background as to what was going on at that time in and around the area? You know, maybe some of the work that East West had done um, just on the other side of the tracks there as well and, and how that um, led to Union Station and your involvement. So Denver Union Station was really right in our backyard. We had been developing what was known as Riverfront Park, which is right at the confluence of two rivers in sort of the heart of downtown, um, but just a little outside. So when the call for redevelopment of that transit hub came about, we were pretty excited to take that to the next level. It really was a project that was decades in the making. It um, RTD purchased the station building, which had was largely sitting vacant in 2001, um, as well as the roughly 20 acres that surrounded it. And so started to uh, start thinking about master planning for the site shortly thereafter. By the end of 2004, when Fast Tracks, which is our light rail project here in Denver, was approved, they were ready to find a master developer. That process began in 2005, and 11 teams from around the country submitted for that opportunity. We felt that partnering with Continuum Partners, another local Denver developer, um, would be really a great way to put two local companies with complementary skills together who could demonstrate an understanding of Denver. And so, and the, our principal, Mark Smith, um, who had actually hired me as well as Mark Falcone, the principal of Continuum, had been friends for years. Um, we made the cut uh, for the final two at the RFP, and I think that had a lot to do with the depth of our submittal, but in particularly that we were bringing in sort of the leading folks from around the country and the world um, as our other players. Um, so SOM, AECOM, Hewitt, who had delivered the first of the fast track stuff on time, on budget, um, those kinds of folks. But when it came to the final piece of the submittal, um, and this was one of my big learning lessons along the way, it was also that we brought to our RFP submittal some honesty about the failures we saw in the plan, um, some really creative solutions to solve those, and a desire to be a true partner to the city and RTD. I think ultimately, at the end of the day, that's the real reason um, that we rose to the top there. Yeah, it's such a great story, and there was so much cooperation, as you mentioned, you know, sort of among developers that really could be considered, you know, competition and in your partnership with um, with Continuum. And I understand that there were, you know, other pieces of the project as well and, and other partners um, from the outside. You know, it all, it all looked pretty seamless. It's such a great example of just best-in-class placemaking when, when you're down there today. And I, I know that the projects in the area have won, have won numerous awards, but can you talk a little bit about that cooperation, you know, between you and Continuum and then all the other players that were involved as well? Sure, yeah. I, I, starting with Continuum, you know, it's interesting. 
Um, we had, each had our own separate offices, but all of those of us who worked on Denver Union Station um, moved into the station building itself. Um, and so, um, you know, even as late as last year, I think um, that there were some folks who really couldn't couldn't distinguish between who worked with Continuum and who, who worked with East West because we were so seamlessly connected at the hip and really, um, it, you know, working together as a single team in that office. Um, but yeah, I mean, pretty much um, all the big names in Denver were involved in one way or another. Um, when we in Continuum put together our, you know, our structure for how we felt like things should work with the new project authority for the project, um, we felt that there should be project management from um, separately from the master development role so that we could protect the design and have someone else who was really, um, you know, sort of advocating for that cost piece. That brought in Trammell Crow, um, certainly another very significant developer in Denver. Um, the station building itself was ultimately developed by a consortium of other developers from um, downtown, um, not insignificantly Dana Crawford, who had been one of the, you know, really the leading um, historic preservation developer of Denver, but also, you know, luminaries in hospitality and retail um, and master plans in their own right. Um, and other developers were on the project authority bo uh, board. That really could have been a disaster in a lot of places, but it, it really wasn't. Um, I think the fact that Denver is kind of a small town in a way, um, everybody really respects one another and everybody really deeply cares about our city. Um, so I think Denver is a better place for all of the sort of battling back and forth that we did to really advocate for our, our relative positions. I would say that one of those developers is even a mentor of mine to this day, despite the many hours that we were at odds with each other over something or another. So um, really a pretty cool and unique opportunity. Yeah, it's a, it's a great example of just, you know, really smart group of people coming together and looking out for the greater good of, of what was needed for the city and, and making that work. So kudos to you all. And then East West followed up that success really with some iconic projects uh, surrounding the building too, the Triangle Building. 16 Chestnut, and then most recently, the Coloradoan. Um, would love to hear, you know, any of your war stories or, or great stories from, from those projects as well. Sure, yeah. You know, it's, it, it's interesting. Um, you know, certainly the um, purchase of those sites and ultimate redevelopment of those sites was very important to the financing structure. It would ultimately um, be used as part of what would um, pay off that financing. Um, but that land was also ours to lose if we didn't execute. Um, and we had to make our first purchase of land there in 2010. Um, certainly not the best time to be um, bringing new buildings out of the ground. Um, but um, it was a great location and office was clearly the right use for that time. Um, I think what's interesting and may not be known to a lot of people is at that time, um, we had not yet developed any office um, at East West Partners. And so um, the South Wing to the station, the Triangle Building, and then 16 Chestnut in succession were our first three office buildings, um, each successively a little larger um, than the last. 
I think though, you know, stepping back for a moment, East West Partners had historically been a resort developer before um, coming to Denver and really was able to, you know, take a lot of those kinds of skills to apply towards primary home ownership development um, in Riverfront Park. That same spirit also applied to developing office buildings. The same approach of really assessing what it is that the community needs, having a customer focus, and really focusing in on all of those details. All those things apply to office just as much. Um, and we just applied a lot of that same discipline, brought in um, really the best in class folks to help us out with it. And, um, you know, ultimately um, focusing on the story of the incredible place you'll deliver. I think those are the key things um, in thinking about sort of bridging to the next, um, that next pro product type. Um, but then of course, you have to deliver on that vision too. Um, so, so that was pretty exciting as it relates to those those office developments. Certainly, the Coloradan um, made more sense as we got towards the tail end of that development. By the time we got to 2013, 2014, residential once again made sense. Um, so we dove in big with the Coloradan uh, 334 residence condominium building. Um, we were certainly and still are um, just about the only people doing condo in Denver. I do think some people thought we were crazy, but we definitely knew there was a market um, to own a residence at Union Station, um, and that that proved to be right. Yeah, it's been hugely successful, and I, I can't help but to know that you know one of the common themes throughout um, the East West Partners history is really around the partners, right? Internal and external. And there's just a common theme of integration in the team and then just surrounding yourself with the best people um, to deliver on the project. Yeah, yeah. So uh, switching gears a little bit after um, your involvement really in Union Station, you moved um, to the Landmark, which is a, a project in Southeast Denver Metro it was a fractured condo project at the time. Um, and I'm, I'm curious what attracted you to that, to that project and sort of leaving, you know, the sexiness of Union Station for the, for the problems of the landmark. <laughs> yeah, yeah, no, I, I, I think um, th that is uh, probably not the most obvious of, of choices, I think. Um, as a company, part of it was, you know, we were really starting to look at opportunities like this coming out of the Great Recession. Um, how could we be part of the recovery? Um, where might there be opportunities to, to do things like this? And um, we had actually worked on um, helping some partners revitalize an area, um, a, another condo deal, although not quite as complex um, in the Charleston area. We have an office there too. Um, and came across this opportunity in Denver um, of the landmark. So as you said, um, certainly um, a broken condominium project. There was about a third of it was unsold. Um, 45 or so residences were as yet uncomplete. Um, of the ones that were unsold, many of them were in horrible shape. 
um, but also a substantial retail asset there, um, which was really suffering um, from a lack of completion of the project in, in so many ways. Um, I think what really attracted us to the landmark, um, though, is that ultimately the base story was a good one. Um, what had been promised hadn't been delivered, but had the promise been delivered, it could have been pretty incredible. So the opportunity to, to really try and bring it back to that and better um, was pretty great. Um, as to leaving Union Station, that really sort of um, speaks more to my, my evolution. I, at that point, you know, Union Station had given me the opportunity to step out of um, my finance role. We had had a great um, partner at the, on the continuum side that was fantastic at public finance. And so I had started moving into a broader development role there. Um, but I knew I wasn't gonna get really my own baby, um, as it were, uh, at Union Station. It was just, as you said, such a sexy deal that really everybody was kind of wanna, gonna wanna have their fingers in it. And I really wanted to have the opportunity to drive a deal. Um, I hadn't been looking for something quite as complex um, and and challenging as Landmark necessarily. Um, it was a little scary, but I really wanted to have something I could put my signature on. It was it was a great um, opportunity for for me to really learn to really apply everything I had learned um, and uh, and get my own thing. So. Um, so I went for it, and uh, you know, some people I think thought I was completely crazy, um, but it turned out it, it turned out to be um, incredible growth. Yeah, just it reminds me of the famous Teddy Roosevelt quote, um, which was recently really popularized by by Brene Brown. And you know, it's not the critic who I'm paraphrasing here, but it's not the critic who counts, and the credit belongs to the man who's actually in in the arena. Um, so you know, at best, you know, in the end, the triumph of high achievement. But at worst, if you fail, at least you fail while daring greatly. So. <laughs> nice work doing greatly. Um, and, it, and it generally worked out, right? Um, I mean, the, re the retail really is thriving, um, and the residents are, are generally happy. Um, but I understand there were some life lessons for you in that as well about sort of our inability to, to please everyone in the work that we do. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I think first speaking um, to what I think made it a success. Um, really, I think three things were kind of key there. Um, first, jumping in with both feet, like wholeheartedly um, jumping in over there. And I'll, I'll, I'll step into each one of these a, a little. Um, the second was really being a great listener with those existing residents um, and the retailers. Um, and third, tenaciously diving into the issues, um, sort of speaking back to your quote there, um, and being ready to make some mistakes. Um, so I, as to the first, I moved my office down there. So I had this great office in Denver Union Station, much closer to my home. Um, and the place I was moving into was definitely not at that time a great place to be. But um, that meant that I felt the place all the time and I really got to see the rhythm of life um, and what worked and what didn't. I think it ultimately really also built trust. Um, the homeowners all knew that our office and everything we were doing was down in the Denver Union Station area. So me being willing to go and spend time with them um, 
you know, really, I think said something. Um, and that led to my second point. I told the homeowners um, straight away, the very first meeting I had with them, that they had no reason to trust me, but I was there to listen. Um, so I made myself available. Um, I kept a advisory board of owners to make sure that I understood all the different nuance um, going on out there. I spent at least the first month interviewing homeowners about what they loved and what they hated to make sure that I knew what to retain and what to fix beyond the big obvious stuff that we knew we were diving into there. Um, admittedly, I felt a little bit like a psychotherapist working through some of the really traumatic stuff for people um, because they'd been lied to from the start and they had in many cases lost a lot um, on the thing that matters probably most to most of us, which is your home. Um, and it, you could argue that maybe I lost some time there, just sort of sitting in the room with all of those homeowners and retailers and so on, and that I should have gotten straight to fixing the construction defects and, and the like. But I think I learned so much in those meetings that my solutions, I think, were stronger. Um, the last one was not being afraid to turn over the next stone. Um, you know, I joked sometimes that I was afraid that every time I might, I might find another million dollar problem. Um, but really, I needed to do that in order to find what might be potential opportunities. Um, there was a central garage there that there was a temptation to just leave as it was. Um, it was supposed to have been fixed and everything, but there was this lingering sort of feeling in the area that there wasn't enough parking, yet I could see that the parking garage wasn't full. And so focusing on a complete um, rework of how you navigate that space um, and then some small moves to make it not just be safer but feel safer almost immediately solved that parking problem because people began to use the whole thing. So that's sort of an example of I was afraid to touch that garage initially. I mean, it could have been millions of dollars of issues, but um, it ended up being a huge win for the retail. Um, you asked a, a second thing about sort of, um, you know, some of the struggles, um, you know, um, admittedly, I, um, there was a lot of leftover anxiety and anger out there. And I think, you know, going in with that role and, you know, of, of turning something around, I, I don't know if I lost sight of the fact that um, you can't always please please everyone, or I just thought maybe this would be different. But certainly, there were some people I was never ever going to make happy, um, and I took that more personally, um, I think, than I should have <laughs> in retrospect, um, because I wasn't the one who solved the problems. Um, but that was definitely a lesson learned for me. Um, you know, looking back, um, just sort of knowing everything that we had done to to turn that place around um, and just, you know, feeling strong in that. Yeah. Yeah. You can look back with a little time and space now and, and see that a little clearer, right? Um, yeah. I think that approach, yeah. your honesty up front, you know, I, I have it's hard to know, right? But I have to believe that those meetings um, paid it forward, you know, a long way um, and what you were able to accomplish in the long run. Well, looking forward, um, you know, sort of fast forwarding to today, um, you now are a managing director at East West Partners and you 
oversee the entire Denver office. Um, so I'd love to talk a little bit about, you know, what you're up to today and kind of your thoughts on just placemaking in general, um, you know, what you are looking for in a site today and what that approach um, looks like in, in all the, the new um, deals you're looking at here going forward. Sure. Yeah. I mean, I think the place I really start with um, is the experience um, that I want to create. Um, when I look at any given site um, and I get start to get serious about it, I really create, um, and maybe this will sound a little nerdy, but I think that it's important. I create a mission, a vision, and core values for each project. Um, and it really doesn't matter how large or small it is. Um, you know, frankly, even on some of the really small stuff, it's certainly also not just a quick one and done kind of exercise. It can evolve um, as I continue to explore um, and my team explores what that site is about. Kind of looking into all the pieces of it, thinking about what wants to be there, who wants to be there, what the community wants, both those who might want to live there or work there and those who are already there, you know, sort of speaking back to that Union Station conversation. I think the big thing is that people wanted to be working down that in that area. There were a lot of people already sort of moving into that area um, on a rental basis, but we needed some office, um, you know, and so um, I think really just dissecting those pieces. I think the fact that we do different kinds of product types um, allows us to have that lens instead of we only do sort of that one thing. Um, it can make it more challenging. Um, but I, I really like that result. So I, I relate to your thinking, you know, around this sort of stewardship mentality and, and looking at the land, creating a mission, vision, core values. I mean, honestly, I, I wish, um, you know, that was taught more, I think, in schools and, uh, in, going forward. But um, as real estate professionals, I think we're, we're uniquely qualified because we have this fiduciary responsibility, you know, not just to our investors, but also to the community. So, so a little bit about what you're, what you're talking about here. And it's a balancing act because we're trying to maximize financial returns while also doing good work. Um, so I'd love to hear a little bit more about how you and East West use that and, and how you create that balance in your work. Yeah, you know, I, I mean, I think it's really interesting. I think um, even before the landmark um, and, and maybe more so with that, you know, it's each time you look at these things, you know, certainly you have to have your financial partners and your lenders um, desires in mind and, and, you know, our our investment piece too, really. Um, but the way to a great place isn't always just paved with um, decisions that have a specific um, bottom line to them um, from a financial perspective. There are a lot of little things that we do that are not that don't necessarily, um, you know, pencil out to some specific profit. Um, you know, working at the landmark, I was balancing existing people um, and, a, you know, and a new lender. And, you know, that that's a very specific balance. I was actually a court appointed receiver technically in that role. Um, but I, I think speaking more largely to 
development. I think there are a lot of things that we've done throughout the years that really speak to the other bottom lines that are possible um, in development. We created art spaces um, in Riverfront Park in the Colorado and Platte Forum and Union Hall, respectively. They don't make immediate financial sense. They're tenants that don't pay a lot of rent. Um, they're nonprofits. Um, and so, you know, by definition, aren't turning a profit per se, right? Um, but they inspire and create community. Um, and creating those things, um, you know, at the start really shows that this community is going to be more than just a group of neighbors, but a place that you can get to know your neighbors and you can engage in common desires and so on. Um, and then keeping those things going long after our last sale has happened and we don't necessarily have any skin in the game is also just as important. Um, at, you know, both through our continued involvement, um, you know, with our time, but also um, through the structures we've created to make sure that those um, kinds of businesses can stay, um, stay in place there. Um, is hugely important to us, and I think it demonstrates sort of a longer-term commitment. Even though those buildings are not owned by us anymore, they're owned by other homeowners or, um, you know, other building owners, creation of those things sort of shows that longevity and that commitment to the community, and I think for us it's, it's crucial. Yeah, I think patience pays off. Uh, so very true. Yeah. What are you, if, if you can give us an idea, um, I, obviously I understand, you know, might be confidential in some sense, but kind of what you're looking for today in a site and what kind of projects you're working on. Um, and to the extent that, you know, what we're all going through here in COVID-19 is playing a role in um, changing any, any of the views of what you're looking at. Yeah, sure. Um, well, first, as to what um, what I look for, I think um, for me, a site has to feel really special. Um, and I sometimes get um, a little chided for that. Um, but I think it's important. If I'm excited, I can get the team excited. I can get investors excited. And that becomes the beginning of a sales plan or a leasing plan or what have you. Um, it really creates that initial magic. Um, for that community and whatever we're gonna build. Um, so it's kind of obtuse, you could say, um, but I think, um, and it's hard for, for brokers who are trying to, <laughs> to uh, bring us a site um, for me to really outline specifically what it is. Um, but I, you know, I think um, it's a we know it when we see it kind of thing. Not that I will dismiss something out of hand, although sometimes it just it really doesn't work because of the location. But um, I think I really do sort of have to have an intuitive sense that there's something that could happen there. Um, as far as what I'm working on right now, um, yes, certainly um, a lot of what we're working on is confidential. Um, but we are chasing a large-scale deal um, that we've been working on in earnest since 2015. Um, that would be another sort of larger master planned opportunity. Um, I love it and I'm committed to it, but um, it has definitely had a lot of twists and turns um, and challenges along the way. Um, but sometimes these things take time. So whether this happens immediately or it takes a little while, I guess will remain to be seen. Um, but I'm also chasing a variety of smaller 
um, opportunities, um, a couple of smaller condominium projects in really special places. Um, we are some of the few who remain committed to the idea that people really do want to own their own home um, in a multifamily setting. Um, and uh, that is certainly a little bit more challenging in the time of COVID. Um, there's a lot of question about whether there's a flight to um, you know, single family home ownership or to the suburbs or what have you. I think we're pretty uniquely positioned in Denver. We're a smaller town um, than some of the coastal traditional um, you know, large markets. And so um, we're certainly seeing a flight from some of those cities um, that I think is something we can take advantage of. And I think there are still fundamentally people who value that kind of a lifestyle. I think if you are a, a condominium person, if you're a city person, um, it's you just may or may not be someone who's going to to go to the suburbs and 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 vice versa, frankly. Um, I think there are also just a couple of other neat pieces of land um, where I feel like we could really make an impact um, on some of those. I'm not really sure yet what the product type will be um, and what the neighborhood or community really needs or wants. Um, so still kind of playing with that. But uh, we do not have um, here in Denver any shovels in the ground right now. We're a lot more in that exploratory phase. So hopefully we'll be poised when. Uh, when COVID-19 starts to, starts to fade away. Yes. Well, just another example of, of patience given, you know, chasing a large deal since 2015 and, and still trying to make it come together. So good luck to you on that. <laughs> In terms of alignment, um, we talked a little bit about this in terms of partners, you know, as it related to the development in and around Union Station. But what do you look for, you know, in partners and, you know, who's, who's successful in, in partnering with East West on the financial side or your project services? Well, you know, um, that's a great question. Um, I think cultural alignment is really important. Um, we were talking about um, earlier some of the out-of-the-box things we like to do that aren't really solely focused on the financial bottom line. Um, some of those things can be hard for certain financial partners to get their arms around. Um, we hope that partners that we um, partner with will appreciate that, um, that additional intangible value. Um, we also really value sustainability um, and the long-term value that creates. Um, you know, here again in something like a condo building where we aren't owning it for the long run, we're selling it to homeowners who will own it in the long run. Sometimes that maybe doesn't um, make a lot of sense to certain partners, um, but then again, we, we really believe that it has value to those who are going to own it for the long-term, and so, it has that intangible value, even if we don't get to see the value of the energy savings or what have you. We just think that's that's where we need to go in this world, and um, finding partners that agree with us is helpful. Um, I think that spirit of of giving back, um, and um, you know that real estate is a long-term asset. Um, whether we're the ones who will own it or it's going to the community and those others. Um, you know, having something that we can be proud of in the communities where we create. That's great. 
And I think that's all, you know, evident in in the internal culture that you have and that you create. I understand that last year EastWest was selected as the number one large company. I think it was according to the Denver, a Denver Post um, survey. Yep. And so curious, you know, what you guys, what you're doing right over there that other leaders um, can learn from. Well, yeah, another great question. Um, you know, I think we hire people who are inspired and excited to learn um, and to dive in and not stay in their lane. And we reward that. Um, you know, we want people to get out and be themselves um, and, you know, chase the things that they, they care about. Um, you know, I can think about people who, um, you know, maybe started in sales and marketing roles, who ended up in finance roles. Um, you know, myself um, being sort of an example of someone who started in a finance role and then was overseeing retail leasing. You know, it's like the fact that everybody gets to dive in and be a little bit of everything, um, I think makes it a pretty inspiring place to be. Um, we also want them to be whole people. Um, we care very much about their wellness. We have um, a wellness program across our family of companies. East West Partners is actually um, part of a family of companies that includes um, a hospitality arm and a brokerage arm um, that are also both national. Um, and we um, have that full scale wellness program. Um, we want people to take their vacations for real. <laughs> and a few years ago, we also added a sabbatical program. Um, and so I think all those things are really, um, you know, great things that allow people to be a whole person and not be just completely buried in the work we do. Um, as far as COVID is concerned, you know, right now, um, I, you know, I personally am up for a sabbatical and I don't feel like 2020 is the time to do it since we can't really get away quite the same way. Um, and so we don't have a lot of people, um, you know, maybe taking as much time as they might otherwise. So we're closing the office for a few days and we literally don't want anyone to take calls or anything. Um, it's our no hands days. Um, I can't take credit for this. This is our CEO, CEO Chris Frampton. Um, but we're all working so hard um, in these times and you can kind of have this blurring of your home time and your work time that's hard to, to kind of deal with. So we want people to just be putting things down, put them away, um, don't take any calls, nothing, um, and, uh, and take that time. And it's those little things, I think, too, um, that we recognize um, people as whole people that are helpful. I think that's fabulous. And it's so important right now because all the lines are blurred um, with, yeah. with us working from home. Um, and so what, what are some of the ways that you're still staying connected? Um, I'm selfishly asking this, so I know how to do it in my own firm. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, you know, um, it's, it's morphing a little bit. I think, you know, at first, um, here in Denver, I started with a couple of extra check-ins per week. So I have um, all my one-on-ones with each of my direct reports, um, you know, that are standard, you know, really businessy meetings talking about, you know, the, the business that we're working on, um, whether it's a development partner or a marketing director or what have you. Um, but in addition to that, we added a virtual coffee chat on Tuesday mornings. We just had that 
couple of hours ago. Um, and it's just 30 minutes. Um, anyone who can pop in pops in and we just talk about whatever, people's dogs, people's kids, um, you know, someone's gotten away for the weekend, what they've been able to do and so on. No work is discussed. Um, but it just, it sort of helps with that lost, um, lost time that we had just sort of running into each other in our office, if that makes sense. Um, and then we also on Thursday evenings, um, and again, it's just quick so that people don't feel, um, you know, like they need to make their work day longer, but we have another little happy hour, you know, grab a glass of wine or a beer and, um, come and sit with everybody and, you know, just talk about whatever, where are you heading this weekend or whatever, uh, you know, whatever is, is on people's minds. Um, talk about birthdays and all of that, because, you know, we used to celebrate birthdays as a team and obviously we, you know, it's just not the same now. Um, we've started to try and do in-person meetups and we need to do more of these. Our team is small enough. Um, you know, um, we're working on a bike ride um, with the team, um, uh, you know, just other ways that we can get together in person, because that's something you can't replace in my mind. Um, but we also need to be respectful. We've got um, folks with family members who aren't well, um, you know, or have compromised immune systems, all the way to people who are super social and really ready to get out there. So you have to, you have to come up with something that allows everybody to participate. So. Yeah, and it strikes me, as you mentioned, this having to be so much more intentional now, right? Because you don't have those conversations where you happen to bump into somebody while you were grabbing the water or making your lunch. Um, and so, uh, you know, we have to set up the virtual coffee chats or the socially distance events to make it work. Um, so it, yeah. it, it, it takes a bit more planning, yeah. Yeah, well, and, you know, decide to have one of your meetings as a walk or um, meet for coffee or whatever so that you can be in person. But that's the unfortunate thing. You want this to be, um, you know, impromptu, but it ends up having to be a little bit more planned. <laughs> right, right. So in leadership, we obviously all, you know, today in COVID and, and, and in non-COVID times have to manage really supporting our teams and the work that they're doing, you know, you, you having to be available for people who need you, um, but also leaving time for, for really strategy and visioning and some of that, you know, mission and core values and vision that you're setting up for each of the projects you're working on. And so, how do you how do you manage both of those um, and you know be able to do that successfully? Well, um, <laughs> I'd be lying if I didn't tell you it was a work in progress because it it certainly <laughs> still is. Um, you know, I mean, I think it's hugely important that I keep all those those one on one um, appointments um, you know with my team and that I get that time um, to really spend. Um, you know, not just talking to them about sort of the work we're doing, but also just catch up on the rest of their lives. Because I think um, when we don't see each other live in the office, we can we can sometimes kind of lose sight of the other things that are happening for people. Um, and so um, I think having those moments and doing that on video, if not in person, is important because you can kind of pick up on those um, 
I guess, subtle clues that maybe something else might be happening too. And, it, and it's important to give people space, um, especially now, because, um, you know, these times are creating a lot of anxiety and um, a lot of a lot of stuff for a lot of people, getting their kids back to school in person or otherwise, and so on and so forth. So, um, so that time is really important. Um, but I have definitely found as far as my strategic time and visioning time, I definitely have to block that stuff in, um, which again, feels a little counterintuitive because um, you kind of need to do your visioning sometimes when you're feeling most creative. But if I don't block it, um, sometimes it will get eaten up by all the other little meetings that need to pop up to sort of stay on what's happening today. Um, admittedly, I've also, um, you know, not going to a health club anymore right now. Um, I've added morning walks um, virtually every day, and that gives me a lot of blue sky thinking time, um, which is um, invaluable to me. I don't know that I could have as much sort of strategic and visioning and problem solving time when there's literally nothing else, no phone, nothing um, to distract me away. And that has become probably one of my favorite tools right now. That's a really good idea. I'm going to steal that one from you. <laughs> <laughs> I think the other thing um, that I've had to schedule in, um, because again, not going into the office all the time, um, and I am certainly going in for some meetings and so on. I'm just not going to the office every day. I'm missing that connection to the city. Um, and so I am having to schedule in some drive abouts to just, um, go and explore different parts of the city, see how they're holding up under COVID, see how things are changing, um, see what might be interesting and what I might learn from sort of the way um, people are leaning into using our sidewalks and our streets um, too. And so um, some of that kind of stuff is again, something I really need to block in because otherwise before you know it, you've been sitting at your desk for nine hours in front of Zoom calls, right? So getting out like that is also really important to me, for sure. It's so true. And one of the blessings that I think has come out of this pandemic is this idea of closing streets in you know, strategic areas and allowing the restaurants to come out and, and people to, um, you know, safely be together and, and just continue to create community. Um, and I hope, I really hope some of that lasts after the pandemic. Yeah, well, and also how people use our city parks to, you know, it used to be that you only really went to a park to run in a circle around it or bike in a circle around it, or, um, you know, to play a sport. Um, you know, really active uses. And I think what's really cool um, is now all the people who are having meetings in parks, um, whether it's for work or it's, um, you know, with friends. Um, and the use of a park is really shifting a little bit. And I think um, really thinking about our public spaces a little differently to encourage all those kinds of things to keep happening um, would just be great. Um, the public space opportunities, I think, um, you know, really are. Um, pretty exciting. Um, maybe some lemonade out of the lemons. Definitely. Well, we can't talk about leadership without talking about the importance of, of mentorship. So, um, you know, in terms of you know, those who look up to you 
um, and how you look up to others or, or maybe utilize your peer group for support. Would love to hear a little bit more about your thoughts on mentorship. Sure, yeah. Um, I think mentors are really, really important. Um, admittedly, I think I take a slightly different approach. Um, I had heard about this concept years ago of having your own personal board. Um, and it's not like a group that all meets together, um, you know, in a, in a single room and, and advises you per se, but different people um, that I can look at up to for their management style, their life balance, their leadership skills, their creativity, um, sales skills. I mean, literally so many different components um, of, of who I want to be. Um, most, in my case, most of these people are in other industries, um, allowing me to speak completely freely. Um, but one or two of them are in real estate. And, um, you know, it, I think it takes some time to to sort of sort out who the right people are to to have in that kind of a role to make sure that you can still retain the, the privacy and secrecy you need to um, in that kind of a um, situation. Um, I also, um, I have a sort of a peer board that is, um, that I connect with about once a month. Um, this is a more formalized structure. It's maybe not so much mentorship, although there is sort of a leader that walks us through some things. Um, that can be um, really helpful for me. Um, as to mentorship um, downward, I think for me, um, that might almost <laughs> be more important to me. Um, I don't have sort of a formal individual mentorship relationship with any students or um, sort of young folks in the industry actively right now, but I do make it a point to try and connect um, with both um, folks coming up in the industry um, on a regular basis as well as students. Um, Cindy, as you know well, we're both on the um, CU International Advisory Board for the Real Estate Center. And, um, you know, there are students that I've met there years ago that um, it's been really fun to watch their progression um, and continue to learn about where they're heading. Um, and while maybe I'm not a formal mentor that they look to every month, I certainly look forward to connecting with them anytime we get a chance. Um, and I love just hearing their perspectives and their questions. I think their questions can sometimes cause me to ask better questions. Um, and then similarly with, um, you know, the younger folks coming up under um, the real estate industry, um, you know, you spoke briefly about ULI. Um, I was a mentor in partnership forum where you have a group of early career um, folks that you mentor for a year and that was an incredible experience for me um, and I think I learned as much from those folks um, as they did from me uh, you know basically just um, finding out what the questions that they were asking um, and how they were solving problems and so on um, that was a few years ago now but I'm still in touch with many of them pretty regularly so um, I, to me, that's been really inspiring, and I think it's really interesting how you can get as much out of mentoring others as you get 
being mentored. I totally agree. And I um, I'd echo what you say around, you know, students and, and people early in their career. Um, I'm just really impressed with some of the energy in the real estate, young real estate community. Um, and yeah. It kind of gives me hope, really, for the future. <laughs> There's a lot of what you're talking about here around just, you know, stewardship and a desire for sustainability and just a real awareness that it might take you longer to put these things together up front. Um, but if you do it, you know, it does pay dividends in the long run, um, you know, both financially yeah. and just you know, by doing good. So, yeah. Well, you touched on ULI, um, you know, that's obviously, that's how you and I met, um, and it, I know it holds a real special place in both of our homes. You were involved in the, in the Women's Leadership Initiative, um, I think, in, in helping getting that kicked off in the early years, um, and also in, in leadership here in our Colorado District Council. And would, would like to hear, you know, a little bit more about how just that aspect to national and really even international, you know, creatives um, has improved what you do here in Denver. Yeah, yeah, no, um, definitely love ULI for sure. Um, uh, I was lucky to be told early that I should get involved on a national basis with ULI really early in my career when I was you know, still strictly finance. Um, and even then, when all I was doing was just going to the fall and spring meetings and part of the thousands, um, you know, I was really being a sponge to all of the topics um, on so many different things, you know, creative placemaking to um, deep dives into financial structures to, um, to great tours of really innovative development projects um, around the country and around um, the world to some degree. Um, I think that gives you the opportunity to bring all of those pieces that really resonate with you back home. Um, I think, though, with any organization like this, you get out of it what you give back. Um, Cindy, I know you know this in spades because you are so involved. Um, but getting involved in a national product council um, really took that to the next level because then building deeper relationships and starting to have conversations outside of those meetings about um, you know, what's happening with someone who's in D.C. and what's happening with my friend in Arizona and so on. Um, uh, you know, to really help with some problem solving around different things that are happening or making connections. Um, someone's coming to town and just sort of curious what they should be looking at. Um, that's been, that's been incredible. Um, and then locally, um, it, you know, really diving in, um, you know, I spent such a, a big part of the beginning of my career just downtown um, and got to know a ton of players that way, but really getting more involved in our local council made a huge deal too, just for getting to really understand who's doing great things elsewhere in Denver and uh, what differences those have made um, has been just just fantastic and really has has built out um, you know that um, group of people that I look to for inspiration um, on what what's being created. So um, I think that's really refined um, on a regular basis how I think of myself and my position in this industry and 
um, and really as a leader for my team. And I think you know, your involvement here locally, I, I almost see it as like it was an opportunity for you to kind of give back, you know, to ULI also. I think you were a fabulous, fabulous leader when, <laughs> when you were the head of, of the district council here. So, um, but that sort of segues a bit into just giving back to the community. And you touched on it, you know, earlier in the conversation, but how does it give you perspective as it relates to sort of grinding yourself? And then really understanding others and, and maybe placemaking better. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I think it's crucially important to be involved and um, and to be giving back. I think it's different for everyone. And I have this conversation with people all the time when they're like, "Wow, you know, I love that you're involved in this organization or that organization." And um, but you know, I just haven't really found my connection. What I always encourage people to do is think about what the things are that they love and they care about most. What would feed their soul and inspire them? So if that means, you know, um, uh, an animal rescue or something like that, that can be fine. It doesn't have to be industry related. And, it, it, you know, I think for some people, they kind of need a break from the industry to be fair. You know, they need um, to fill out their whole self. Um, but I think being involved in um, whether it's industry organizations or other nonprofits, it's just really important to your point in giving you perspective. Um, and even if it's not industry related, it can give you great perspective on your business. Um, I had to, at one point, um, bring a nonprofit back from the brink. Um, they were, for a variety of reasons, um, had gone totally sideways. Um, and it was an organization I cared a ton about. Um, I had to dive in and sort of be the executive director for a little while on the side while I'm trying to have a day job, but it was because I cared so much about it. And the thing is, you know, nonprofits are doing so much with so little and watching how that's possible. And then watching how when you dive in with such interests, um, things can really start to change. Um, you can start to get maybe a little perspective on how some things that you think are such big issues in your larger career um, maybe aren't quite as big of a deal. And, and I think that um, then can allow you to be a little bit more calm and thoughtful in resolution of those issues. So, um, you know, that can be really great. Um, and just getting to get inspired by, you know, if again, whether it's pet rescue or the arts or what, whatever it might be, um, the things that can be created is, um, is just so great. So um, I think it's a great piece of being a whole person. Um, and I really look for um, in future hires someone who is inspired to be giving back to their community in some way or another, because I just think it really speaks to, to character. Yep, and the gratitude that comes along with it, no doubt. For sure. So just rounding it out here, um, balance. So that is a lot, you know, in terms of, I think, what you're doing and how you're always thinking about placemaking, the community that you live in, making that a better place, giving back, um, you know, being involved in organizations. How do you, how do you find balance given all of that? <laughs> well, I think certainly as we kind of touched on during COVID, this has been harder than ever. Um, I think 
it took a little while before everybody got comfortable, you know, getting back together again, whether it's family or friends or what have you. Um, I think I have really tried and I'm not always successful to draw a line between the time I'm working and the time I'm not, um, you know, really to respect my relationship with my husband as well as, you know, with friends and, and family and so on. Um, you know, so that's a big piece. It's, it's hard when, you know, both work and play are at home. Um, but really trying to hold that edge um, to whatever extent I can. Um, really trying to focus on some way to see my family. My family is not here in Colorado. Um, and so trying to get creative in ways to make that happen. Um, and also to see some friends um, who are not not local. We lost some international travel opportunities this year, but that gave us the opportunity to go see some friends and um, to see some of the Western United States that we hadn't explored um, before, um, and the Midwest. And um, I guess another sort of silver lining um, is that while Sometimes it's been tough to connect with some of our friends locally, given the restrictions and, you know, potential concerns around, um, you know, health and so on. It has opened up opportunities for us to connect sort of more um, directly with some of our out-of-state friends um, now that virtual is so normal. So that um, has maybe filled the space for some of the folks that we haven't been able to see as regularly as we otherwise would. So um, I will say we're also just trying to get away to the Colorado mountains here. Um, not as much as I'd quite like, but um, hopefully um, even more so as, as we start to move towards winter, so. Well, we're so lucky to have our mountains and um, I think the secret's <laughs> out given the, the influx <laughs> to Colorado over the past 10 years. But yes, we are very lucky in that yeah. Yeah, well, thank you sure. so much, Amy. It has been my pleasure to talk with you and really learn more about EQuest Partners and, and your thoughts on placemaking, development, and leadership. It's been fun. So I appreciate it. Thanks. Thank you. Thank you so much, Cindy. This has been really fun. We hope you enjoyed listening to this episode of Conversations with the Best Minds in Real Estate hosted by RCL Co. Real Estate Advisors. If you are interested in learning more about RCL Co., go to rclco.com and follow us on Twitter at RCL Co. Don't forget to subscribe to new episodes of the podcast and make sure to leave us a rating on iTunes. Thanks for tuning into the show.